Hey, Gabe, have you seen the new Star Wars movie? Yeah, it was all right. I don't see what all the fuss is about. Snap. Hit the theme music. Not my best take. I did it better a moment ago. Sure. <laughs> well, it's it to do the Capote voice, the, you need to have the Southern draw. And that's something that like is like the key behind getting it absolutely right. That makes sense. You and I are not Southerners. We're, We're not Pennsylvanians. No. we uh, And Angelinos. And Angelinos, Pennsylvanians, and also New Yorkers. Hey, forget about it. New Yorkers it. from Boston. <laughs> <laughs> Burglar. Uh, welcome, dear listener readers. Hello, everyone. To Slow Readers. Your weekly fast-paced literature podcast. Brought to you by books. <laughs> Here, we're, we're always talking about reading. God. We're always talking about... Now, you well, always, be, you, do you do that on purpose? Yes. Okay, just uh, Well, checking. every time I'm about to say it, I always realize that I'm either... Uh, I have, there are so many episodes where I did, for some reason, because I'm just, like, going with the flow, I do accidentally say, uh, brought to you by books. Yes. But no, it's brought to you by Top Gun Radio. And then I say, and we hear the conversation always on books. Yes. And then I chip up. For the past, like, 30 episodes, yeah. I'm very conscious about it. So, like, right as I'm saying it, I have the conscious decision to say either books or it's, it's brought to you by Top Gun Radio. Yes. This time I said books. Yes, you did. That's it. This is a show about books. Yeah, we're a real literature podcast. Because we talk about reading. We talk about books. We talk about literature. We talk about words on the page. We talk about the nonfiction novel. We talk about adaptations. We talk, yeah, we will talk about adaptations. We'll talk, we, we'll talk about word count in terms of length of the story because this one in particular is very misleading when you Ooh. look talk about physical size of this yeah, book. Yeah, you said God it, man. It. Um, that, yeah, and this is, uh, a, a show. That's totally. it. <laughs> Gabe, who are you? What are you? Hello, everyone. My name is Gabe Mara. I'm a comedian every now and again. I'm a writer and a podcast producer. And if you go to the right party of all the right sexy dudes and ladies, not just dudes, and everything in between, <laughs> I support you. You'll find me tending a bar. Co-host Daniel, who are you? I'm Daniel Gonzalez. An audio producer, writer, editor, and an author. Of some note. Of note! Uh, and this is our show, Slow Readers, a t- uh, Top Gun Radio Show. It's a good time. <clears throat> yeah. It's always a good time. And that's the end of the show! Goodbye, Goodbye everybody. everybody! Hit that subscribe button. Jinx. Mm-hmm. We said the same thing at the same time. That's some that's some good fucking shared headspace that's there, bro. That's some mind games, dude. It's okay, bro. Yes, Daniel. Um, you know, I keep forgetting that this is actually a continuation of one of our sub-series. It is? Yes. A little thing called Stranded! Stranded! Uh, we're based. Strand eighty list. It is the worst uh, sub series we have done yet, and they we have we have some pretty bad ones. Everyone <laughs> loves a masochistic endeavor, and you know nothing says masochistic like going through each of the books from the Strand eighty list, which is the Strand bookstores. Uh, uh, like um, what do you call it? Like a customer reader favorite, customer reviewed, whatever. Yeah, uh, reviewed. Uh, uh fa- like selected favorites, essentially curated by the people who go to the Strand Bookstore, yes. not the Strand Bookstore itself. Yes, not the pro- employees, which can probably come up with some really good lists but or no. some really good guidelines to allow a list to not have such glaring omissions and weird like loopholes. You know, you're right. It should know better. Yes. But, uh, but Who I, let this happen? That's uh, my problem. The Strand Bookstore, that's what it was. Or whoever handles its fucking social media, goddammit. Yeah. Anyway. That being said, please check out the Strand Bookstore um, in the East Village of New York. It's one of the best bookstores, if not the best bookstore in the world. It probably is the best, best blech, the, the next best, best bookstore, bookstore mm-hmm. um, in the world, I bet. I, although I haven't been to some fancy schmancy yeah. like European ones. We where, haven't like, the, been to the Los Angeles equivalent yet, the last bookstore. Castle. We should go at some point. Oh, I haven't. Where is that? Um, It's downtown. It's in downtown? Okay, probably yeah. downtown. Although the Iliad bookstore definitely is like, it's up there with personal faves. Yeah. Hey, that's a great one. And yeah. hey, um, you and I are seeing a 35 millimeter screening of Redbeard soon in downtown. Um, let's go to the last bookstore. 
Yeah, sure. It'll be a good time. Uh, I can't believe we're saying Redbeard. Yeah. Uh, it's a three-hour <laughs> movie about samurai doctors. Yeah, man. I, I'm all for it. It's just, I don't know. It's one of those things where, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, looking forward to it, though. It's going to be very yeah, soon. I'm pumped. Check, uh, check it out, people out there. Um, so this is... <laughs> Sure. <laughs> this is that was not a segue. Um, yeah. So um, this is also I forgot. Yeah, this is gonna be our deciding episode whether or not we continue with the Strand eighty for the rest of the year. Yes, and it doesn't it doesn't pertain to how we feel about this particular book. Yes, no. It, it, it basically because at the end of the episode we're gonna roll to see what we're gonna read next. Yes. And depending on what that is, we're gonna decide to continue doing this throughout this year or maybe kind of give it a pause and come back to it later on. Yeah. The biggest concern that we've had. And I guess this makes sense because, like, a lot of the books in the Strand 80 list, it's either, like, a beloved, like, lit, like literature, high literature classic, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's like, you know, why Gone with the Wind is still on there. Yeah, for whatever reason. Uh, because it's just, like, people know that it is a it is a very popular and beloved book for hundreds of years at this yep. point. So it'll never, it's on the list, whatever. And um uh, and also, so like it's either going to be one of those books or it's a Harry Potter book. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and uh, so, and also like we seem to, and, I mean, it only makes sense that a lot of the books that we've read for this are very long. They are tomes. <laughs> and like it, if one fell off the top shelf in a book of like a bookshelf and landed on your head, you would be seriously injured. Exactly. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. Totally. Did you see that thing that's on social media where someone posted uh, something? Uh, this guy, po- he posted like, uh, let's just say like Atlas Drugged or something like that, right? Sure. Um, this person cuts the books in half. Okay. Like along the spine. Uh-huh. Um, so that they're in two separate things. And he just said, and he, like the guy, you know, tweeted like, uh, so my roommate just saw that I did this and he called me a book murderer. Hey, who else out there does that? And of course the internet being the internet is filled with people being like, you know what? That's smart. Why? Who? The, the idea in the idea in this and in, in like kind of understanding is that people are just like, oh, you know what? That actually makes like these massive tomes like super like like easy to carry. Easy to that's carry the around. Only difference. It is. No, that's the only difference. And the whole idea. It's like, well, I can't carry around my massive copy of, you know, the get it Lord, on Kindle. The Lord of the Rings. Of cutting a fucking book. In Don't half. think too hard on this. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> this that guy's a, you are, in fact, a book murderer. He, sir. Has a, he has a book murderer. And anyone who agrees with that being a good idea is fucking stupid. Like, I have a real issue of people who hold their books by bending the thing back. Backward on itself, I really hate that. And you're actually very rough on books. To, I am not. A, I am not delicate of yeah, books, but I really, really hate the way some people can read a book. Oh yeah, some of them are awful, and I, I prefer the only things I'll. What I, I love mass paperbacks because I'll be very rough on this. Those yeah. these mass paperbacks when I'm reading through this, I'll like bend like the top of a page. Sure, you'll, you'll kind dog of, ear. Yeah, I'll dog ear it. Dog earing is fine for a mass paperback only mm-hmm. because the page is usually very thin. Yeah, exactly. If it was like, I would never do it with like a hardback. Yeah, one of your like beautiful like hardcovers. Yeah. That said, you can even see some of these books that I've like been heavily reading since like like 2004 that yeah. I have and like they look kind of worn. You, you've seen my cop, my first edi- my first copy of uh, Norwegian Wood. Yeah, it's covered in It's semen. covered in duct <laughs> Wow. It's covered in duct tape, thank you. Murakami would have loved that joke. That's probably true. He loves semen. I was going to double down of an even grosser joke, but I decided not to do it. Good. We're showing maturity. Yeah. That's it. We're the only explicit literature <laughs> podcast out there. We do it. We do it all the way. We're the bad boys of lit. We don't kind of like Chudun Capote himself. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which. A true bad the, boy. The book we're reading for this particular episode, the deciding one. Also, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. That's what we're talking about. So, yeah, if like the next one, we the, if we select another one and it's another 
long slog of a book. Yeah, if it's something we just don't want to read, then yeah. we're going to put it to bed. Last year, we were really good. 2019, we did at least one strand book a month. Roughly, on average, I, yeah, I think. Roughly. Yeah. And like, don't be wrong, I think we did shorter ones, but like, you don't remember them. You remember like the long ones. Yeah. And a lot of those long ones have been fantastic. Yeah. They, the, uh, Poisonwood Bible. Amazing read. I, I miss... Not, I, I, I miss... Having to put off finishing Poisonwood Bible, uh-huh. <laughs> I really do. I really love that book. I, I was know. amazed by I it. I traded my copy in though. Yeah, I want, I, I want a not a hard cover. I want, yeah. Unless I'm going to be like the book martyr and cut it in half and be like, we can carry it around with me. What a fucking goblin! He's a bastard. You're a bad person. And all these sir. people out there are bad people too. That's yeah. it. Agreed. Uh, so this is a yeah. So so we're going to decide that at the end. But for now, we're covering a book that I'm very excited. I was if you go back to the episode when we selected this, you heard joy in my voice, yeah. and I think your voice. I was too. bummed. That we are covering In Cold Blood by Truman Capote, the 1966 best-selling nonfiction novel. Yeah. Uh, it is not the literal first nonfiction novel, but it's mm-hmm. kind of like considered like the first one to kind of call itself the nonfiction Yeah, like the real novel. trailblazer. Yeah. Uh, and Gabriel, I believe you did some uh, research into Truman Capote. I did indeed. Uh, and I was wondering, what can you tell us about Capote's? So, as usual, whenever it's a living, it's, it's like a dead author who has like a lot about them, one who's been studied extensively, like mm-hmm. these strand authors usually will find pages and pages and pages of research. So, um, I have a lot here, but hopefully it's mostly just the highlights of who Truman Capote was and his work. Yeah. Alrighty. So, Truman Garcia Capote was Garcia. born... Garcia! Garcia! was born uh, Truman Streckfuss Persons on September 30th, 1924 Say in New what? Orleans. I'm sorry? Stre- his real name is Truman Streckfuss Persons. Okay. His last name is Persons. Streckfuss was his middle name. So Garcia Capote are, are uh, invented? No, you'll only find out. Okay, They're okay. adopted names. Um, his parents divorced when he was four, and he was sent to live in Monroeville, Alabama, where he's raised by mother's relatives. There, his neighbor and dear friend was Nell Harper Lee, author of To Kill a Mockingbird. Never heard of it. You know, it's a big deal. Um, kind of a cool thing about them is that, you know, like and like in Harper Lee's real life, her father was a lawyer like Atticus Finch, and Capote and her used to just go to trials to hang out and watch stuff. Instead of, um, he quoted the saying, we went to the trials instead of going to the movies. So that's really funny. Anyway. That sounds like a really awesome kind of um, learning experience back in the day. I mean, like... Yeah, can you imagine being as a kid just absorbing like the language and yeah. and social like rituals of like trials and everything? Yeah, it must yeah. be an interesting thing to just like take in to like observe these things like like real human stakes that kind of thing. Like the yeah the reality behind justice and whatnot, mm-hmm. especially in Alabama. In Alabama, boy, I mean, like I I don't know if if uh, if To Kill a Mockingbird was based on a real thing that Harper Lee witnessed or not, but. Um, Dill yeah. in the book is Truman Capote. Based on Truman Capote, I heard. Yeah. Which, uh, and again, I can't. I honestly cannot wait and for us to actually read uh, To Kill a Mockingbird because it's been a long ass time since I've had to read it. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't like when you say names like Dill or even like you know the other any, any, anyone Boo. who isn't Scout or uh, uh, Atticus Fitch, um, Fitch, Finch, Fitch, Finch, Finch. Okay, um, I, I like I don't remember who they are that's that's really fine so it occurs to me we could also do a variation on the strand 80 by just picking books off the list instead of rolling dice How and landing one dare you we'll, we'll decide at the we'll end decide of the episode, the episode. any hoozles in um, 1932, he moved to New York City to live with his mom and her second husband, mm-hmm. a bookkeeper from Cuba who adopted him as a stepson. His name was Jose Garcia Capote, or uh-huh. Capote, probably. Capote. So, yeah, when, when Truman was adopted by Jose Garcia, he became Truman Garcia Capote. Okay. Which is cool. However, though, um, Jose was cool. soon busted for embezzlement, and they had oh. to leave Park Avenue, which is heavy. 
So of his early days, Capote related, I was writing really sort of serious when I was about 11. I say seriously in the sense that like other kids go home and practice the violin or the piano or whatever. Mm -hmm. I used to go home from school every day and I would write for about three hours. I was obsessed by it. So he was a young author from 8 and 11. Yeah, technically. So technically I've been a young author since I was four. I yeah, mean, same. I, I remember my first little book. I just yeah, no. drew crayons and there was a Einstein in it. Yeah, not to get too far ahead. Like Capote, Capote is both like in, in, immensely like fascinating, but also a very frustrating guy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So like he was, he was, hearing all this stuff, like he's like, oh, I was, I started writing in serious when I was a... I was writing in serious when I was about 11. And w w that was when I, I realized I wanted to become a writer and I wanted to basically devote all my time to it. And like, I'm just like, yeah, yeah no, sure. I, yeah, we, I've done, we, I did that too when I was younger. It was we're called writers too, buddy. It's called being a boy and a writer. A <laughs> While still boy. attending school, he worked as a copy boy in the art department at the New Yorker, but he was fired because he pissed off Robert Frost. <laughs> which I think is really great. Quote, not a very grand job for all it really involved was sorting cartoons and clipping newspapers. Still, I was fortunate to have it, especially since I was determined never to set a studious foot inside a college classroom. I felt that either one was or wasn't a writer and no combination of professors could influence the outcome. You know, I good. still think I was yeah. correct, at least in my own case. Yeah, good for him. <laughs> yeah, he never went to college. He just finished high school. And he's like, he's like, you know what? College is for pussies. Yeah, I hey, like. I, I agree. I like that. That's why mm -hmm. I'm poor. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, we, we finished college eventually. <laughs> yeah, we got there. Yeah. So one of his first critical successes was a story, Miriam. Um, I actually like to revisit that at some point. I remember I read that in like the fucking fourth grade or something. Miriam, really? Yeah. Um, I I was briefly I floated in and out of the gifted classes in elementary and middle school. Um, I never applied myself well enough, but one of the assignments was we had to read Miriam as children. And I remember everyone had this like clever analysis of what it was about. And my, my, what was it about thing read like a silly book report log line. So <laughs> I wasn't really, maybe I didn't really quite take any of it seriously. Yeah, I physically drifted in and out of the, uh, the honors classes because mm -hmm. that's where all my friends were. And I would just like wander into their class in, in the middle of it. Yeah. It makes And then you would just stick around. <laughs> and then the teacher started to really not like me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine why. I can't imagine. So um, um, writing Miriam, publishing it in 1945, got him a contract for Random House to write a novel. It became his first real novel, Other Voices, Other Rooms, in 1948. It sold over 26,000 copies and made him into a celebrity. There's yeah. a famous photo of him, of like as a young man, like this kind of ominous photo of him looking like a cute young guy with like dolls behind him. Mm -hmm. Weirdly, it kind of resembles the Britney Spears Rolling Stone cover of the Teletubby and her shirt's open. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a subject of much controversy. Like, older women were like, my God, what is that boy doing? <laughs> yeah, and um, um, funnily enough, Andy Warhol, like, began a lifelong obsession of Truman Cody. Pacote. Cacote? Pacote. <laughs> um, peyote. Because of that photo. Okay, sure. Moving on. Uh... And so he became a success, and in the 1950s, Capote turned his attention to Broadway and cinema. Broadway! His novella, The Grass Harp, and short story, House of Flowers, became plays and a musical, and he co-wrote John Huston's film, Beat the Devil, starring Humphrey Bogart, Jennifer Jones, and Peter Lorre. It's mm. kind of like a comedy parody of the Maltese Falcon. Okay. Which I guess is kind of cool. I guess it's kind of cool. Was that, was he trying to do Capote? Uh, well, that was just my tongue catching, and then <laughs> I, uh... I decided to come You needed to, to go high pitch, and remember, it needs to have a draw because he's southern. Is this a closer? It's me, Tuman Capote. <laughs> that sounds exactly like. Yeah, him. I knew it. Okay. That's that's Brando. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> terrible Brando. <laughs> that's not like Brando. What are you talking <laughs> about? Yeah. In 1958, <laughs> he published Breakfast at Tiffany's, a short novel and three stories, and created the famous Holly Go Lightly. 
everyone knows he really hated the movie version. Hmm. Quote, I think I've had two careers. One was the career of Precocity, the young person who published a series of books that were really quite remarkable. I can even read them now and evaluate them favorably as though they were the work of a stranger. My second career began, I guess it really began, with Breakfast at Tiffany's. It involves a different point of view, a different prose style to some degree. Actually, the prose style is an involvement from one to the other, a pruning and thinning out to a more subdued, clearer prose. I don't find it as evocative in many respects, as the other or even as original, but it is more difficult to do. But I'm nowhere near reaching what I want to do, where I want to go. Presumably, this new book is as close I'm going to get, at least strategically. Strategery. Strategery. That brings us to In Cold Blood, which dun, dun, was dun. inspired by a 300-word article that ran in the New York Times on November 16, 1959. The local sheriff was quoted in the article as saying, This is apparently the case of a psychopathic killer, which totally caught Capote's interest. At the point, he was already looking to do a more experimental narrative journalistic writing style, and he saw the killing as an opportunity to do some fresh perspective for him. So basically, he's like, oh, I can do something about this, can't I? Mm. He then spent the next four years off and on Western Kansas doing research, and finally published it in 1966 after it was pub um, serialized, publicized, serialized in four parts of The New Yorker. Mm -hmm. Almost done. Okay. Many of this speeded the veracity of In Cold Blood, including true crime reporter Jack Olson and Esquire writer Philip K. Tompkins, who said, Capote has, in short, achieved a work of art. He is told exceedingly well a tale of high terror in his own way, but despite the brilliance of his self-publicizing efforts, he has made both a tactical and moral error that will hurt him in the short run. By insisting that every word of his book is true, he has made himself vulnerable to those readers who are prepared to examine seriously such a sweeping claim. Uh -huh. Olson said it much clearer. I recognize it as a work of art, but I know fakery when I see it. In fact, Alvin Dewey, the detective of In Cold Blood, has even claimed that the final scene in the graveyard never even happened. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, come on, Truman. So the rest of this is just his kind of life here, that um, Capote um, spent a lot of his life with Jack Dunphy, author and playwright John Fury, and uh, Capote had a rivalry with Gore Vidal. Tennessee <laughs> Williams once complained, you would think they were running neck and neck for some fabulous gold prize. Capote never finished another novel after In Cold Blood. He began to indulge in a more aimless, heavy-drinking, drug-using, jet-setting lifestyle as he enjoyed a celebrity. Mm -hmm. um, his screenplay for 1974's adaptation of Great Gatsby was rejected. And he began to really fuck up his friendships of Tennessee Williams and society people by writing thinly-veiled depictions of them in a collection called Answered Prayers. <laughs> One story, La Cote Basque, 1965, received a really wild negative backlash because it was going to be a tell-all story about these society ladies, mm -hmm. and it really ostracized him from all of his friends and made him drink and do drugs even more. Mm -hmm. By the late 70s, he was in and out of rehab. He became a recluse after his driver's license was revoked for speeding, and he had a hallucinatory seizure in 1980 that required hospitalization. Mm. Capote died on August 25th, 1984, in Bel Air, Los Angeles, a month before 60th birthday. He died of liver disease complicated by phlebitis and multiple drug intoxication. He died at the home of his friend, Joanne Carson, Johnny Carson's ex-wife. Gore Vidal responded to the news of Capote's death by calling it, quote, a wise career move. Yeah, I, I really dig that. I read that before. <laughs> yeah, hilarious. Good, good job, Vidal. Vidal. Good job, I'm, Gore. I don't know anything about Gore Vidal. I know the name. People reference him in satirical, references. In satirical things that I've seen, yes. Mm -hmm. um, 
and then, but I don't know anything about him. Um, what, I started reading one of his books. I forget which one. He does write, right? Yeah, he's a writer. He's okay. a novelist. Yeah. Uh, speaking of um, what you're talking about, the veracity of this The veracity book, right? of claims. Uh, yeah. So um, I believe this probably opens all the copies and whatnot. This acknowledgments from uh, Capote himself. Uh, it, it starts with, all the material in this book, not derived from my own observation, is either taken from official records or is the result of interviews with the persons directly concerned. More often than not, numerous interviews conducted over consistent period of time because these uh, uh, collaborators are identified within the text it would be redundant to name them here nonetheless and he names a bunch of names and whatnot yada 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 my, my recall is upper than 90 percent <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go <laughs> i'm gonna quote th- the thing from the movie uh mm-hmm. the 2005 capote which is not based on this it's based on a biography written by a person whose name i don't remember but I believe it's just called Capote something rather okay. colon something. But uh, I think more than anything um, in terms of like the cultural like touchstone of in cold blood is probably like the most recent thing in people. Unless you're reading this for school and whatnot, which is mm-hmm. this is a huge thing for I that. Mean, people only know him nowadays through in cold blood and breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one is more. I mean, like Audrey Hepburn's image is probably more recognizable to people across the world. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gabriel, I probably I probably told you this. Um, I saw a live Broadway uh, uh, performance. Of, you did indeed. Uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's starring Amelia Clark. Yes. Um, and I, I think Where was, she was supposedly nakers on stage. Yeah. Which is an unfortunate thing because like That's all anyone cared about. It's all people talked about. And also it's one of those things where like, I think even at the end, like the when like when they're like bowing at the end, they uh like they said, like oh, and thanks a lot for being like like one of the more mature perform like audiences, because like they like people are like 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 catcalling and and whatnot in fucking Broadway. The fucking Broadway, come uh, on, people. But yeah, yeah, it turn- it, uh, Broadway people start like going oh, but uh, but no, actually, on a wolf and droopy dog. Uh, people gave like uh, her a lot of shit for like not being good in that. I remember kind of being floored at her ability. She plays guitar and sings and yeah, shit. I wanted to ask that she sing um. Uh, Blue Moon or whatever? I think so. I don't remember the name. Mm. The song, the moon was. River. I'm, I'm assuming moon. if it's the song from the thing. It's, it's that. Moon River. Um, and uh, and also does like a horrendous Holly Golightly accent. Like, where she's her voice is all over the place. Mm. You know, I thought she was That might have been a character choice. That's it. I have maintained that really Me Without You, her performance in that, Millie Clark's performance in Me Without You uh-huh. is one of the top three worst film performances I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, well, uh, well she was good in the, uh, in the Broadway show. She was good in Last Christmas. That's it. In Cold Blood. Yes. Gabriel, have you read this before? No, this is my very first time. I've never opened a copy time? prior, yeah. Right. Have you seen Capote before? No. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to constantly bring it up because uh, I love that movie. From it's a great movie. Um, like, I saw it in theaters, and, like, it's one of those things that, like, has never fully left me. There's things in that mm-hmm. that, like, I'll always kind of, like, have in the back of my head. Clifton Collins Jr. Uh, who plays Perry uh, White Smith. Smith. Perry, uh, Perry White? <laughs> Perry from <Smith>. Superman? <laughs> <laughs> Perry Smith. Yep. Perry White just shows up. Yeah. Uh, no, no. Kent, I need, five, like, like, five columns on this. Yeah, so, uh, actually, no, but, let, I'm sorry, let's pump the brakes. Let's actually, I just realized we didn't actually go into what necessarily In Cold Blood is about, for people who don't know. Good catch, Pimp. Gabe. Yes. What? Is roughly the story about roughly. So very roughly, In Cold Blood is a uh, nonfiction novel about the killings of the Clutter family in Holcomb, Kansas in 1959. Mm-hmm. Um, the Clutters were um, uh, Herb Clutter. He was like a very upstanding member of town. He was like a stoic man who only ever paid in checks. Mm-hmm. Um, his wife. Uh, I don't oh, remember no. her name. She's always referred to as Mrs. Cutter. Yeah. Um, she was um, a she was clinically depressed. She spent a lot of time in her room, mm-hmm. and his two teenage children, um, his, his son, 
who was kind of a bit of a quiet guy, and his Kenyan daughter. Kenyon and Kenyan Nancy. And Nancy. Yeah. yeah, what was the what was the wife's name? I feel terrible. Well, I don't remember. This like, is a real well, woman. Well, she's always... Refer- she's uh, Besides, like, the beginning, she's referred to as Mrs. Cutter. Clutter. Clutter. Yes. Cutter, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, let, me, let me find out the name. No, Go. don't worry about it. Gabe, Take what happens in the story? So, um, we follow uh, the Clutter family as up until the day um, they're murdered. And along that, we follow the killers themselves, um, Perry Smith and uh, Dick Hickok, who were two men who left uh, who left prison and kind of teamed up. Um, Dick's more of like a, a hardened kind of criminal type, but not really. And Perry's a little more of like a sensitive type, but not really. And um, they cross the country. Their their plan was to, um, br- they heard a tip that um, that Herb Clutter kept mm-hmm. a safe full of like ten grand in his house. They were gonna go in there and not kill anybody and take all the money, and instead, um, they resulted in the gruesome murder of every single member of the family. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the book just details the investigation, where Dick and Perry go, um, how the members of Holcomb react to it, and Detective Alvin Dewey as he pursues the story. So. That's pretty much it. It's a true. It's it's one of the originators of the true crime novel. Yeah, uh, that's definitely something that it that it is. I mean, this is basically like the origin of of, of like this true crime thing that is still immensely popular. Yeah, today. this and Helter Skelter like like were the two like rocks like like keystones of true crime. Yeah, well, they they started. I mean, still to this day, Helter Skelter is the top selling true crime novel. Mm. Uh, this is number two. Which is kind of crazy considering the fact that like this is like college reading, so like it's like copies of this are constantly being bought. Mm-hmm. Whereas like I don't think that's the case with Helter Skelter. Yeah. But like Helter Skelter was that much more popular. In fact, like it's almost too much of a subject to talk about between this cultural touchstone mm-hmm. and then three years after its publication, the 1969 murders of Sharon Tate and her housemates in the in the yeah. Bianca house and hold and whatnot, and like and how they were mass murders that kind of like def- like changed culture. Yeah. And doors like, started being locked. American history. Like, yeah, it is this, like the actual killings themselves in this as, as what's told in the book and whatnot. Whereas this is like a, this is a thing where people kind of trust one another. Uh, uh, it's, uh, Halcombe, uh, uh, Kansas is a place where nothing happens. Yeah. It's a place that like other Kansans say, uh, call out there. Yeah. Um, and here there's this gruesome, there's this fucking incredible murder that yeah. happens. And all of a sudden people start like panicking. They, they are suspicious and they're, they're worried now that they're going to, that people are going to come back. Yeah. They had no idea who committed this killing for all they knew. It was like a rampaging member of their town who held a grudge against the clutters. Yeah. That was a, that was a popular thing. And supposedly that's another thing where, uh, Alvin Dewey, um, in, in, uh, his depiction in this, where he's like the heroic genius, like inspector who was like, mm-hmm. like, 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 yeah, I'm going to crack this case. And he, he did it. But supposedly for most of the time that like, uh, between the killings and when the, uh, uh Perry and Dick were apprehended, mm-hmm. he was following the idea that this was basically like some kind of like, uh, yeah, gr- a, local grudge killing, like a grudge killing or something like that. Uh, or like, like this was probably like a hired killers. Mm-hmm. Um, his wife's name was Bonnie. Bonnie, that's what yeah. it was. I was looking. No, I was looking Bonnie at the name. Clutter. I was looking for that fucking chapter in the beginning Sorry, that's, that's specifically about her, and mm-hmm. it, like, and I was like, no, it's still she's still being called Mrs. Yeah. Clutter. Clutter. Yeah, the kids were um uh, were Nancy and Kenyon. They had two older daughters, Eviana and Beverly, who yeah. already left home. Who don't uh who don't really feature in this book. Mm. Yeah, but uh but that's a like 
like there's like honestly like i don't even know necessarily how to bring this up because it's such like a huge thing like again this tell was, me your thoughts this Daniel. was 66 and that was th- 69 yeah and i'm i i as i've said uh to you gay before that like i've been listening to um the you must remember this 12 part uh podcast series yes, on uh, my recommendation on uh, uh the manson's hollywood i think is what it's called yeah charles manson's hollywood on my high i cannot recommend enough listen to karina longworth's podcast you must remember this 12 part series on the manson murders it's essential listening yeah yeah. So like and and just like understanding and comprehending like the the shift in like and like America's mind essentially like yeah. like before during and after this had happened right mm-hmm. and like this is this is kind of that in like a much smaller scale you yeah. know it's it's a, a lar- largely less sensational it's less yeah it's less well, it's not Hollywood it's not Hollywood <laughs> a beautiful pregnant woman was not murdered was not stabbed by crazy teenagers although still in this like. Like it still needs to have that like beautiful young woman who was mur- like uh, yeah. much is brought up is constantly brought up about uh, Nancy's beauty mm-hmm. the the sixteen year old teenager who in the family who was murdered and like like to an degree that like that is it's kind of sensational in that regard where yeah. you still need to have that thing like this quiet girl in a very small community mm-hmm. who is regarded as the beauty. And like, who probably was honestly for like a small town, whatever sounded like. Yeah, she was the town beauty, yeah. sure, but it's not like Sharon Tate. She or made whatever. a really good cherry pie. But like, it that that fit like the kind of narrative. You yeah, know? It, it, it's kind of interesting that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so this is the uh, this is the second time I've actually read this. Oh, when's the first? When was the first time? Uh, for college. Oh, um, which I did a quote college read. You, if you know went what I mean? to college. Uh, I did it for like a college read where like. I read it. I read like some of it and skimmed it, and then yeah. followed along during you, discussion. You, you read enough to get to get a passing grade. To to <laughs> barely, mm-hmm. um, and yes, yeah, but like that said, like picking this up, like what, like f- fifteen years later, or whatever, um, and I'm just like, I don't remember any of this shit. Yeah, <laughs> like abs- like none at all. Like even the structure, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't remember this at all. So. Hey, um, I'm 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 trying to make like make amends for being an 18 year old who hated Tony Morrison's beloved I'm sure it's amazing I just hated it as an 18 year old who's forced to read it yeah you still hated it when you were 29 yeah hey yeah. I have to let go of those emotions yeah no, I, I still don't even know what I'm a big boy mind. that's also on the list we haven't hit it yet because god forbid it's too short for us to have landed on it and had to yep. write it for the show that said that Gabe, said how did you enjoy your first time with In Cold Blood by Truman Capote I am not a true crime guy. I'm mm. I'm really not. I I find it like I often find it like garish and ghoulish. Mm-hmm. It's why like as much as I wanted to get into my favorite murder, like if like Georgia Hardstock and Co. Other <laughs> lady, I forget her name. <laughs> I I I find the love of killers ghoulish. Mm-hmm. I find it very unpleasant, and I don't really get it. Unless your point is you want to survive. So for me, the most true crime I've indulged in has been like true crime podcasts like like more narrative based ones mm-hmm. um detective trap i think it's one of my new favorite ones here that's a great one mm-hmm. and the karina longworth thing so picking this up i was a little i knew it was going to be a great work of writing i'd read breakfast at tiffany's back as a teenager i think that, that was a great read and uh this one i, I approached i approached it of some trepidation but i i i absolutely loved it mm-hmm. it's it's in so engrossing the writing is incredible and like yeah. it's I think I wonder what must have been a temptation for Capote to like insert himself into this or make his voice overly heard. I have I have some theories about that. Mm-hmm. We'll get into the moment, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 for all you know about Capote, it's so it's 
both like darkly, grimly funny, and also like sensitively told. Mm-hmm. Like it's very elegiac, but also it's also a detective story. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I I'm, I was very 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 impressed by this. Yeah. What about you, Daniel? Second round. Uh, second round. I remember liking it enough. Despite having probably like not really read it that first time around, uh-huh. um, this time around, no, I'm yeah, I'm floored, and it's so interesting how the storytelling in this is so modern, mm-hmm. um, and I think that a lot of like sometimes when you see like a modern uh, true story, you can kind of see some of this language kind of like badly mimicked mm-hmm. sometimes. Like there's there's something really interesting, especially in like the first like fifty pages, where um, we have like chapters going back and forth between like a member of the Clutter family. And then uh, Harry and Dick kind of like like kind of being introduced by like the way they look and how they behave and whatnot, mm-hmm. um, like heading towards a destination. And you have like one where it's like a family just like like a, an idyllic like white kind of like m- wealthy family in the middle of mm-hmm. f- fucking whatever Kansas. Yeah. Like who are just like happily going along and whatnot. Then you have like these two dark like like uh, outcasts yeah. kind of like heading towards something and there's immaculately some... groomed and playing it... guitar but there's like there's something sinister that we're doing or yeah. not and like how much time is spent on just like like insignificant details almost like just mm-hmm. like small little details yeah, place that, setting that are... put immersing you and there's something so like wonderfully like what am I knocking over that's my computer your phone uh, there, there, there's something something there's something so like wonderfully uh, I don't say sinister, but just foreboding about the whole thing, and it's just like building ten, like yeah. an unbearable sense of tension. I mean, the, the title starts you off already. Like you hear a title called "In Cold Blood," mm-hmm. and it reads like like a very very in depth New Yorker article. Yeah, I mean, goddamn. And uh, and no, no. So like, it's it's really fucking fascinating and interesting. And again, like, there's it's, it's bone chilling. There is, and I say this quite a bit. Uh, there is a confluence in what I'm kind of digesting at this moment between this confluence. The you must remember this episode. Chase the beam. I've been reading a lot of Ron Hansen stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like I, I spoke to you about this, Gabriel, off in between there. Uh-huh. Uh, and let's go. Let's get into this the whole veracity thing, and also yeah. this idea about a nonfiction novel, which is. Uh, it's a bit of an oxymoron a bit a non-fiction novel like because yeah there's like historical fiction there there are just like straight up novels that involve real people yeah and this very particularly was positioned as a non-fiction novel yes and it's always found in the fiction section really i mean in cold blood isn't it I i bought my copy in the fiction section yeah i i think so right yeah, I, I believe you're right. Uh, it's been a while since I've like looked for you know looked up the Capote section. I mean, yeah. it was. I was just actually at a Barnes and Noble over this weekend um, when we were seeing fucking Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and and I actually yeah I, I didn't even think about it. I found a copy of In Cold Blood in the fiction section. That's wild. Which like in a sense like it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. No, I get that. That it, it's it functions like a novel. I, I took that entire course one week a couple of years ago on um, on the evolution of the novel based mm-hmm. on 19th century English literature, and people there was a there was a concentrated dedicated plan. Well, there's a difference between like early fiction and what became the novel. What was mm-hmm. the one whole unit of the novel of what's the unit of storytelling? Yeah. And this being like you know like you know like the latter half of the twentieth century and everything as well like the timing is yeah is, is, it reads like a novel if you told me this is pure fiction I believe it you. does and uh, like so that kind of like in terms of the oxymoron uh like an hypocrisy almost it's mm-hmm. like the idea that again kind of like taking this as like Capote begins this by saying 
every bit of this is true. Yes. And like like all the detractors said, it's like, man, he's setting himself up for failure because uh, pretty much anybody with an ounce of like suspicion yeah. can kind of be like, you have scenes. Mm-hmm. You have people just like talking to each other. Yeah. And like anywhere between like scenes, well, because, um, you know, between like where, where Perry's talking with Dick in Mexico or something. Yeah. Or, or like, on a boat of auto catching fish. Yeah. And then, like, just like random people in the town kind of like making a big deal about like hearing their names on the radio and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can, you can yeah. compile 8,000 pages of research or whatever, but like, like, you're still you're kind still of making up scenes you're and they're writing, you're writing dialogue. And it's very clear, like, especially focusing on those early chapters, like, there's like plotting and such. Like, when we're first introduced to Perry, mm-hmm. he has his character laid out in front of him, yeah, where he's fantasizing about traveling to like going skin ex- diving, exotic places yeah. and whatnot. Like that's how we're in like while he's mm-hmm. on the way to commit this murder, like it's yeah. all kind of convenient. Yeah. And and again, like the thing that we've said about Dewey. And it's, these aren't criticisms, I don't think. No, it, it's it's like criticisms on the veracity of the book, yeah. not so much like your entertainment of it. And it, yeah. it, and like and again, this is the Capote thing of how he's kind of frustrating where it's like it's sensational because he says that every word of this is true. Yeah. When it's come, it's not. Mm-hmm. But that makes it, it th- this book sold according to this 90s era-ish uh, mass paperback that I have. Yeah, your mass paperback looks like a John Grisham book. Yeah, it 5 million copies in print. When did this come out? It's, Gabriel, describe the cover of this, please. So it looks like a John Grisham book. It has like that paperback quality. It's like like a wood background, big, bold, bloody letters in that kind of like like tough font. There's wheat and blood on it. it yeah, like, like <laughs> picture a 90s like 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 yeah. detective thriller. It, 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 the fact that it's wheat kind of throws it off, but if it was like a gun or like yeah. like the emblem of like a, a branch of the U.S. government or something like yeah. that, it would it would look like or like, even like a tattooed arm of one of like the guys, something like this. Why can't I find the fucking thing? I don't think it's 1980. That's crazy. No, it's like cover photography. It just doesn't. It doesn't have the things. So for let's this photograph book. the wheat. Yeah. <laughs> well, it said cover for. T- Cover photography of Truman Capote. Oh, in which the is back. The, with this picture out in the back. Yeah, where he he has a hat. He has a jaunty hat. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he looks like a mix of that painting of that guy pointing and laughing at you and Walt Whitman. Yeah, kind of actually. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So yeah. it's like there's something really interesting to talk about this. I just want to say one thing. I know we're going a bit long. You're running a little long. Um. But I just want to say that like I'm reading uh books by uh, uh Ron Hansen who does like historical fiction books mm-hmm. and they're all uh, the ones particular I'm reading are the Assassination of Jesse James. Uh, by the coward Robert Ford, actually, uh, and yep. and the kid, both of which are revolving around like famous like Western figures, like folk folk heroes, essentially, yeah. and like super sexy Billy the Kid. They're they're both oh my god, both of them are so fuckable, they're so fucking hot, dude. Uh, but no, like both of them are similar to style in this, where like it they're heavily researched, and in those in those books particular, like the author one hundred percent says like. This is what happened. Although this person also said this happened. Can you imagine having a scene like plays like this when like it actually diverges and someone says like, oh, you know, this is a thing like um, there's a point where uh, when Billy, like, like towards the end of his life, when on, like the final manhunt for him, he breaks out of jail, which is like infamous Western lore. Sure. But uh, he, he he kills his captors and whatnot. And then he gets like this local Mexican dude to be like, hey, man. Come get me a, a a chisel so I can break out of this whatever it is, right? And like the folklore thing is that like the town loved Billy the Kid and especially Mexicans too. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was like, "Sure thing, uh, Mister Billy," and he got his thing and everything. But the author kind of says like, 
Or it is perhaps that this person is terrified of Billy Kidd because he just murdered two men. Yeah. Um, you know, it like it kind That's of cool. It 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 both speaks directly to the artifice of the novel. Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying that like, it's kind of an interesting thing where that is wholly like a novel as well researched as it is. But like this, for example, Capote like, like makes a point. It's like, no, this is, this true. is true. Yeah. I have 90% recall. I, I have over 90% recall. Mm. No, that wasn't it again. That was like somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's so hard to get the draw. Anyway. Yeah. It's a little more like, like piglet. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. No, we're yeah, go- let's go on break. We're going to like we have a game to play. We I'm very ex- I'm very excited for this. Yeah. Uh, when we come back, we're gonna play a game, and then later on, a little, little later on, we're gonna, we're gonna do Final Fast. Yeah, buddy. And also find out if we're gonna do the Stranger thing again. Cool. All right. Spend break time. Okay. Welcome back. Hello, everyone. Dear listener, readers. What's happening? Two. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Slow readers, your weekly fast food pleasure podcast. It's wine time. It is wine time. Take that, Sean. Take that, Sean. <laughs> Enjoy my gammy mouth. Although to be fair, he did sound like a monster last week. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, good time. So plug them ga- later. The gamminess is one thing. Another thing was those horrible burps. <laughs> Jesus. Right. I'm still Gabe. I'm still Daniel, and this is still a podcast. Yeah, Gabriel. Yes, Daniel. It's game time. Uh-huh. And Gabriel, I want to bring up something that we've done before and also focus on something else. Okay. Uh, I can't stress enough. I really love that Capote movie. Mm-hmm. Capote uh-huh. uh, movie. Compote. Uh, uh, and also, not because it, it, it features like uh, some really stellar performances, such as by uh, Catherine Keener as uh, Harper Lee and all these other Collins Jr. And all these other people, including the director, Bennett Miller, who always makes awesome movies and whatnot. Uh, this is... Uh, I very much miss... Old uh, Phil Seymour Hoffman, probably one of the finest actors BSH. to have lived. Uh, and Gabriel. Yes, Daniel. This week, the game is a very special Philip Seymour Hoffman oh. gatekeeper. Oh, dear. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. So, gatekeeper. Is it what kind of cookie does he order? Insomnia cookies? Because I know that one. Uh-huh. Yeah, you served him once or something? Yeah. yeah. What did he get? Uh, he had oatmeal raisin. Oh. Was he, was he doing okay? That's not true. He had chocolate peanut butter. Chocolate. He was not doing okay. <laughs> okay. Chocolate peanut butter? Yeah. Hey, man. This was shortly before he died. Oh, man. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. He lived in Manh- uh, New York, right? Yep. Yeah. That's where he was found dead. He attended meetings there. Um, so that's it. <clears throat> so, Gabriel and Gatekeeper, basically, we have I have Gatekeeper. 10 facts leaning towards one goal mm-hmm. that you need to find out, one answer. The answer is the name of a movie that Philip Seymour Hoffman was in. Okay. And it's based around, I actually have all the, the answers, uh, or like a good part of the things like based around the character they play. But specifically, I'm not looking for the character's name. I'm looking for the name of the movie. Okay. So every every uh, gate that you need to pass is basically you can either try to answer and get it right. Or if you get it wrong, you know, you get points taken away if you get it wrong sure. or whatnot. Uh, but also you can move on to the next hint, which is the next gate, essentially. Uh, and basically every time you guess wrong, you lose a point. But if you guess right, you gain three points. I thought so I, if I if I guess wrong, I lose two points, and if I don't answer anyway, I lose one point. Yeah, let's do it this way. It's simpler. Yeah, I guess that works more if, I, if I'm competing against someone. This is also yeah. It, it basically, like, how about this? Think about this. The whole point about having three points when you start and then losing is this. Think about this. Like three strikes. Okay. I'm slowly figuring this out. I don't think about it until I, before I play this. Gatekeeper. That's gatekeeper. So, uh-huh. <laughs> I like how we're doing. The uh the fight song, song, but like in like a like a like a more than meets the eye <laughs> kind of style, you know? Yeah, Transformers. Gatekeeper. It's mm-hmm. like a like a James Bond knockoff. All right, mm-hmm. 
So Gabriel, again, you have t- you have three strikes okay. to guess this right or not. Uh, again, I'm looking for the name of a movie that okay. Philip Seymour Hoffman is in. Mm-hmm. Starting, you have ten. Ga- you have ten gates. Okay. We're gonna start with this very first gate. Okay. Also, I have these in pretty much a random order. Oh. That's it. First gate. Mm-hmm. This movie was made after the year 2000. Okay. Moving on, I'm assuming. Unless yeah, I'm not guess. guessing. Okay. Uh, let me pa- actually tell you what. Pause me if you want to answer. Okay. Or maybe I'll actually look to you to see if you want to do it. Okay. Gate number two. Mm-hmm. This movie is 133 minutes long, cost $50 million, and grossed $110 million. It's a long one. It's a longish movie. It cost $50 million, which isn't okay. cheap. Mm-hmm. And it only made 110, which is not bad. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. Moving on. Mm-hmm. This character is based, the one that Phil Singer Hoffman played, on a real life person. Hmm. So think on that. After mm-hmm. 2000, mm-hmm. 133 minutes long, cost 50 million, uh, grossed at 110, and based on a real person. Okay. That only leaves a few. I mean, he didn't do that many, like, real. There's the master. Well. And there's <laughs> Patch Adams. Um, go on. All right, moving on. This movie was released three years before Hoffman's death. Mm. You want to take a guess? I'm going to guess the master. You're going to guess the master? Yes. Gabriel, that is a strike. Okay, okay. It would be nice if I actually had a sound effect, so I sign up for that. No, that's not bad. Uh, Of course, also, that's not necessarily a bad guess. The master is kind of loosely based on, like, L. Ron Hubbard, for example. Okay, okay, okay. But yeah, good guess. I still got another. You got two strikes. I have another two good ideas. Right. So uh, I believe this is four four down. We got six to go. Okay. Next one. Yes. This movie, like Capote, was also based on a non-fiction novel. I would like to make another guess. What is your guess? Is it Charlie Wilson's War? Is it Charlie Wilson's War? That so was, yes. That was quiet. No, <laughs> it was not Charlie Wilson's War. Fuck. Okay. Two strikes. You have one strike all left. Right, all right. All right. Damn. Okay. Gotta be all right. Careful. Not bad. Not bad. Still, be you got five. You can take your time with this. At this point, it would be best to play with another uh, person, but mm-hmm. we're too good for that. Uh, okay. Moving on. Out of the what the fuck? No, an ad. Sorry. <laughs> uh, out of the three leads, two characters are directly based on individuals, while the third is a composite character. Mm. Is it Charlie Wilson's War? <laughs> no, go on. Okay. Uh, moving on. Mm-hmm. Unless you want to take a guess. No. Smaller roles in this film were portrayed by Spike Jones, Robin Wright, and Chris Pratt. Hmm. Oh. I figured that was going to be a big one, whether or not how much Gabe is conscious of this movie. Uh, so, going back, this movie was made after the year 2000. Yeah. It is 30, 133 minutes long. It cost $50 million, grossed 110. This character is based on a real person. The, out of the other two leads, another person's based on a real person, and, another, and the third is a composite character. Uh, three years before his death, mm-hmm. which I don't... Do you know what year that is? I don't recall, actually. Okay. But you have, probably have an estimate, right? Yeah. Okay. I have... I think I know... Based on a nonfiction novel. Yes. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm going to go for it. Okay. Because I, I, I... Wait, wait. I, let me get the thing ready. Okay. What was it la- the last time? I won if like 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 really early on. Okay. Um, you have you have three gates to go. I, I See, I don't want the last ones though. Okay. I'm going to guess it's Moneyball. Final answer? Yes. 
Yeah! Yeah! Yes! Uh, and Democrats call for a Bolton to testify in impeachment trial. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's cool. Gabriel, that is correct. The yes. answer is Moneyball. Yes. I forgot he was even in that, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, no, it's it's a very small, uh, not small role. It's a very, like, kind of, like, understated role. Yeah, know? like, jo- like Jones, Penn, and, um, uh, like, I was like, oh, composite character, and Jones and Penn and Pratt. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Uh, yeah, 133 minutes long, based on a nonfiction novel. The next three, I just want to say, the next three, uh, uh, Gatekeeper thing and my bobs, were uh, the nonfiction novel this movie's based on was written by Michael Lewis, mm. author of uh, The Big Short and also um, The Fifth Risk. Also known as The Big Shart. And The Big Shart. Uh, this movie is Capote director Bennett Miller's follow-up to Capote. Mm. Uh, there's a six-year gap between those. I don't know what the... F- what, what's... I mean, I don't know. Anyway. He was busy. And also the characters, the name was Art Howie. How? Actually, I wouldn't have known. If I, I hadn't known by then, I wouldn't have known. Yeah, I don't but know. Yeah, I was going to say. That's a really so, great movie. Gabriel! That is how... I oh, know it's a great movie. Gabriel, this is how you play Gatekeeper! Gatekeeper! And uh, yeah, congratulations! Congratulations! I win. You win. I am the champion gate of the gatekeepers. You are the gatekeeper. I am the gatekeeper. You're the gatekeeper. Gatekeeper. Take that, Katie. Take that, Katie McCats. She doesn't listen to the show. She doesn't. Oh, okay, makes sense. Uh, <laughs> so that said, uh, we're gonna close up shop forever. No, um, mm-hmm. let's let's go on break one more time. Congratulations, Gabriel. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna go on break. When we come back, we're gonna do final thoughts. Mm-hmm. Roll for the next thing, my Bob. Do hazy memories to talk about what we're gonna read next. Okie dokie. Break. Welcome back. Hello, dear listener, readers. Hi. Two. The reader. That's us. We do it. I'm still Gabe. It's Daniel. So, uh, yeah, back to the show. Um, <laughs> yeah, back <laughs> to the show. whatever the fuck that was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, not fucking around. So, yeah, no. Uh, so, yeah, this is the thing. Uh, Gabriel. <laughs> yes, Daniel? Final thoughts. Uh, okay. This is the part of the show where we do final thoughts. Gabriel, is there anything that you want to kind of uh, summarize and and conclude uh, our discussion with In Cold Blood? Not on... really, to be perfectly honest. I think I said most all of it. Um, so if you're if you're listening to this without having read it, I mean, my God, you should read this book. I mean, you can find a copy of it anywhere, really. It's, it's, it's such a slow... It's not even a slow burn, but it's a slow burn to it, and you learn. You like it's methodical. You yeah. Know? Next thing you know, you're done. It's 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 such a fantastic read, and like oh. I know it's a little hard to get over all the mythology of Truman Capote and everything, but I think it, it's better for ignoring him as a person. Like, yeah, and not that he's like some kind of like awful scumbag. Yeah, he's just kind of frustrating. Yeah, he's not like <laughs> yeah. like Roman Polanski or anything. Yeah. You don't have to actively make amends for his work, but yeah, but you don't need an asterisk. Like, yeah, you know. <laughs> but there's something huge about like Capote that's kind of complicated. Mm-hmm. And this is just a it's just like a great like it's an almost like egoless piece of amazing writing. And, and and it's always kind of shocking that that's like the sign of a great writer when you have this guy who when you have this someone who's this much of an egoist. Yeah, but um, you won't really think that. Unless you look at his portrayal of, of uh, Alvin Dewey as kind of like a kind of like a double for himself, I suppose. like his own obsessions and his own like intelligence, and he's mm-hmm. kind of projecting himself onto Dewey, you know. Yeah. Um, that's it. I also wanted to respond to something that you said before. What's that? Um, well, I wanted, I wanted two points for my final thoughts. One, I want to do about the length and two on the, uh, on what you said about Girth. like how, uh, true crime tends to be kind of like macabre, mm-hmm. you know, 
like kind of like like gratuitously macabre. Yeah, a little um, more like garish. I mean, it's, like, it's not like macabre, in bad macabre, taste. Macabre's fine. Garish is not like in bad taste. Yes. Well, uh, that's why that's why I put the adjective uh, gratuitous on there because like yeah. gratuitous makes everything. Like, it reminds me of that that woman you told me about that Instagram woman who had that serial <laughs> Albert Fish tattooed on her she, arm. She's like uh, she's like an alternate like model kind of style chick and yeah. like and she has like tattoos. And she, yeah, she likes like grimy macabre things. And then she revealed her tattoo of Albert Fish, and she's like, "Yeah, look at and it's kind child of, killer." It's kind of like like putting like like the devil on yourself or Charles Manson or even Charles Manson isn't that bad. Yeah, you put Albert Fish on yourself and be like, "Oh, that guy who molested a lot of fucking children." And okay, yeah, like <laughs> even being obsessed with Manson, I think has its romance, but or like it's whatever, it's tacky, but like yeah. it's actually in better taste than Albert yeah, than that. Fish. Come on, lady, like what's wrong with you? Ugh. You're disgusting. And that is that is someone who is actively like 100 a terrifying individual. Like a like a genuine human monster. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm also always kind of turned off. Like if, uh, and I, I think it's kind of interesting right now with podcasts in uh, true crime. For example, the Wondery Network, which is right now very popular with like doing true crime stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, Doctor like, Death is one of the most harrowing things I've ever heard in my life. It is, but it's also incredibly fucking captivating, right? Yeah, it's it's human stories and uh, very much. And I might have actually spoken to the guy who produced those shows. Yeah. Um, but he basically, I had a conversation with him because I admitted that like I find true, I usually find true crime stories like very like like I'm like yeah, it's not really my thing. I don't like, I don't like. Uh, I feel like there's there's tons of like it's usually on TV and whatnot like programming that is very like kind of like obsessive about like grisly matters and whatnot because mm-hmm. um, it sells very well yeah. it like kind of like piques your like kind of grotesque interest yeah no you're, you're curious and like your natural human curiosity and the guy George Lavender he made he basically made this really fantastic point about uh, how like yeah but like you know Doctor Death isn't just about like these horrible like grotesque things that he did to people it's also about like bigger implications like how did this guy get away with doing this for so long when he was clearly like at fault and he's clearly yeah. like not good and how he was shuttled around between yeah, hospital people were sweeping him under the rug like that was like he like it's basically yeah. a, this journalistic way of saying like you folk you tell these 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 stories these that, that sound stories. like yeah sensational pulpy even and then but you tell like these real stories like kind of in there as well yeah you shine a light on something bigger yeah on enough, not necessarily. This doesn't necessarily even do that. It does not. <laughs> it doesn't. But but, but no, it's, it's, but we're talking about the, the the human capacity for these stories. Yeah. Like 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 if you could have told a Doctor Death, because if you don't know who Doctor Death was, it was um Dennis Dunch. He was a man yeah. who performed insane acts of medical malpractice, mm-hmm. killing multiple people, maiming many, paralyzing so many, mm-hmm. and it would have been like this ugly thing if it'd been like, and then the butcher did this. Yeah. Instead, it focuses on the heartache and the pain. And the regret of the individuals who who let who this happened to. Yeah. And in Cold Blood is very good about it. It's a story of the town of Holcomb of these individuals, these killers. Like they're interesting, well-rounded individuals who receive a lot of consideration. Yeah. No. Uh, that's that's specifically what I want to talk about. The fact that like the main characters of this book arguably isn't like Dewey or the family or anything like that. It actually is it's Perry and Dick. It is the killers, Perry and Dick, and it's kind of interesting how much like the book is written to kind of like feel for them and understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, there's something kind of like perverse about like this idea about like, let's look into the lives, the lives and into the, the, especially Perry in particular, like, yeah. and like, like, like the letters from like his father and that thing and his sister. We go into, he has like a whole backstory and whatnot. And the, I mean, which, and that's like kind of like the really fascinating stuff in this besides like the kind of mystery of like, of like what really happened, what went down and whatnot. 
um, it's kind of like what happens where like a dick is like kind of like the guy who like, you know, is like a criminal and you're supposed to be scared of. Like he is kind of like a blockhead who just kind of like fucking stumbles, like has all these horrible plans that get people into trouble. And like, yeah. it's always taking advantage of people besides the fact that like he kill like he runs over stray dogs and like possibly molests underage girls and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like he's someone who is like clearly bad news. And you have Perry who's like this sensitive guy in a very understandable and you feel for him and kind of like is like a victim of his upbringing a little yeah. bit. And then he slits Herb cut like Clutter's throat. And then he kills an entire family. Yeah. He's the one who did this. Oddly yeah. Enough. So like th- there's something very complex about it that that is why this is so fascinating. Yeah. He, he was a nice man up and I thought so until I slit his throat. Yeah. Like my like that's like what a terrifying sentence. It, it, it really is terrifying. <laughs> And like, I love the thing with Perry and that is basically kind of um, Capote is kind of like reading into this where like uh, one of the reasons about why he did this kind of like senseless act of murder, um, especially is both like him being frustrated with Dick and kind of like Dick's kind of like thing about like pulling him into this thing. But mm-hmm. oddly enough, kind of like being like the guy who like pusses out in like when in like when, the, you know, the fights there. Yeah. Um, and then like this other thing about how, you know, Perry was uh kind of like unloved for most of his life and then his kind of frustrations about acting on this in the family yeah so there's that it was not an easy life that's a uh very in brief like the length and whatnot this like the actual length of this book doesn't seem that great it's like 300 usually like the most popular Mm -hmm. thing is 300 pages long this book is in fact 160,000 words long it's thick it because like this book is if you just skim through it it is literally just like blocks of text like yeah. there's no there's, there's no, no dialogue, pictures there's no, there's no maps there's no pictures there's no full color diagrams i know fucking sh- the shire doesn't it's not illustrated <laughs> yeah. in this anyway so like i just thought it so like that's not a reason why like word count is very popular that's it yes. i'm sorry we're going a bit long i've been going a bit long uh-huh. gabriel let's move on to let's our put next away thing. in cold blood no we need to do hazy memories real quick oh that's right gabriel fast uh, uh i'm holding a gun to your head mm-hmm. uh uh, uh hazy memories what's that thing you're going to remember that uh, years from now uh, we're, that we're indebted to Mr. Jonathan B. Hayes for uh, for naming this thing. Hey, easy memories. Easy memories. Of the Whip Around podcast. Check out Whip Around every Wednesday at our good friends of ours. I have a Not gun. the Fox show. <laughs> um, I'm going to remember... Fuck. I remember so much of this. Like, uh, I, I love I love the, the description of the hangings by mm-hmm. the end. Like, it's... it's like, like just the little details are everything that hangs on to you. The fact like like they had like shrimp and like fries for dinner and like like Perry didn't eat much of his. And then there's that little segment like so early on where um there's like the belligerent like like station clerk mm-hmm. is she, and she's like I like to see some men try to come here and rob me. Like side note from Capote, this very thing happened a month later. She was robbed and tied up for like a thousand dollars. And like there's. It's wonderful writing, and it's even better reporting mm-hmm. whether or not it's all true. It's another matter. I love reading a nonfiction narrative. Um, right now, like uh, I'm reading um the story of sushi, which is a great little book about like following like the lives of these students who attend Sushi Academy in mm-hmm. California. I like the human aspect of these things. It's what will get me into a true crime story. It's the people. It's yeah. not the crime. The grizzly murders. Yes. Yeah. So that's my um, that's my uh, hazy memory. Daniel, what is your hazy memory? Uh, you know, it's something like thinking back at the like in terms of yeah, no, just the idea that again you need to kind of like be the just smartly be the kind change. Of, smartly look at this and kind of hold back from pointing it out like like the kind of like a you know like the fact that this isn't this isn't purely truthful as it is and just like being like no, it's a novel. It's supposed to be a novel and it is. 
very eloquently like uh you know structured and formed as a novel essentially i mean it's very impressive um specifically uh i turned uh, the gun on you what is oh, your memory uh, uh 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 it's the old man who's dying in the back seat of the car uh, mm. uh it, well like the kid like who like they're all fucking terrified that this guy's gonna fucking die in his back seat and there's this kid who's like fucking really good at finding bottles on the side of the road mm. what a weird kind of like little interjection that just kind of put in there that's Too it many compote uh that's it uh let's throw away this fucking good night motherfucker take that um so that's it gabriel now is the thing where we're now gonna... is the time we're gonna decide our <laughs> okay. fates here. I have the also I want to point out, uh, I have the Strand eighty list as listed on the has like a Strand's you know, website on the Strand yeah the Strand's uh, website. So because there's this and there's the one on Goodreads which has like a different kind of like order and whatnot. Uh, so I'm just want to say like that's the one I'm reading. So Gabriel, when you're ready, you roll the eighty sided die and okay. again okay, gonna gonna lift on my legs. My back's been fucked up. Come on. Here we go. Here we go. Come on. Here we go. Yes. 19. We've had this one before. Uh, Slaughterhouse 5. Yeah, we had that. Okay, already. re-roll. Gotta do we it again. It. We finally come, got come, a re-roll. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I think we did that before. Uh, Eight. Eight. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm all for reading this. Uh, okay. A little book called 100 Years of Solitude. It is, again, a very long book. I've already read it, so I've, I've already read it too. We both already read it. This I want to a... no, I want to reread this. I um, I want to reread this. Okay, so let's let's do that's it. That's it. I kind of like this idea about just like, what if we just pick the ones we want to read? <laughs> we could do that too. We just or do or just do it throughout twenty uh, yeah. twenty whatever the. Fuck How about this year once is. a month we do a strand eighty book of our choice, or every month, every other month a month. That's it. Uh, Gabriel, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to maybe in February of 2020, we will be covering 100 Years of Solitude okay. by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Yeah, my namesake. Uh, All a, right. a very good book that That's we exciting. both already read. I'm actually, yeah. I have a copy. I waited to kind of, I needed Crack a chance open. to kind of I got to buy another copy. That's it. Gabriel, that's exciting. Let's yeah, no, I'm excited for that. I really am. And also just like reading. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll revisit the, uh, the, the Strand Talks. Um, maybe next time when we're done with that. Yeah, motherfucker. So, Gabriel, um, next week we're going to do another short story. We are! And I'm very excited for this because I kind of picked it out at random. Mm-hmm. I, I have this, and I've used it before. Uh, American Gothic Tales, a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, anthology mm-hmm. uh, edited uh, with an introduction by a little, a little woman named Joyce Carol Oates. Cool. Uh, a, no- a novelist cool. Who, uh, and writer who I've uh, we've covered frequently and always mentioned mm-hmm. every single episode. She has a whole month. Uh, she has an entire month that we just do her stories. Yeah, because of course she would. Um, and Gabriel, so this has uh, this, this has a bunch of stories, and I realize we haven't done like a woman in a little bit. I don't know if that's true, but it feels like it's been a while. Maybe it's been a little bit. Gabriel, yes, I Daniel. think what we're gonna do, uh-huh. we're gonna do a story by an author named Lisa Tuttle, Lark Voorhees, called Replacements. Cool. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this. I don't know anything about the story. Paul Westerberg? I don't know much about Lisa Tuttle besides some very, Mark very, Voorhees? from some very, very, very minor uh, uh, details about her and okay. her profession. Sure. So, Gabriel, next I'm week, excited. That sounds great. Replacements by Lisa Tuttle. Okay. And then I think after that, Daniel, I want to say we shall make a return to Daniel Take My Hand, Darkness Take My Hand. And we will be doing another episode of the Dennis Lehane Casey Gennaro books. Yeah, that's a uh, sacred that we're gonna sacred be on, right? is book three. Yeah, I need a copy of. It. They didn't have any fucking ones at the uh, really at the yeah. No, I've been looking. I, I was looking for that. They have like a million copies of like of Gone Baby Gone and no, Drink they have the two War. copies of Gone Baby Gone. They have like a Drink Before the War. 
Um, I think especially that one, there's like a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of Sacred. That's so odd. So I need a copy of that. Maybe we'll All just right. skip and just go right to get it. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I, I, I got a copy online when I bought it for like $2. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll do that when I get a copy. Okie dokie. Gabriel. Yeah. That said, we're at the end of the show. Gabe, I'll do a thing called plug. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't done it already, please check out Self-Evident Asian America Stories. Um, it's an, a cultural heritage documentary podcast about Asian Americans. Mm. I wrote and produced episode three, the talk we were supposed to have. Um, it's about my life. I'm very, very proud of it. It was featured in the AV Club. So um, if you haven't done it already, please give that a listen. Give them all a listen to great episodes. Blah. Um, besides that, um, follow me on Instagram at read.richards, read like reading a book and lastly press one button to support our podcast one. just one press just one. press the star button press subscribe just press do follow it. do it if you're if you're giving me bothered please write a review Burn. we need you we need you all right daniel what about you plug uh yes uh, i was also on the whip around podcast very recently yeah that was a good time uh, it was a very messy episode not thought, even not even my fault but it was fun that was a great episode uh, that, that was 100 percent your fault it was not my fault totally no fault. it wasn't it's sean's fault mm-hmm. it's the educator's fault mm-hmm. um that's it no uh you can also follow me on twitter at top gun radio and on instagram at slow readers so readers where the most uh active and also buy my fiction it's all available online fiction. anywhere you get your ebooks uh, specifically, the uh, physical forms are available right now on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, they are a cook in the kingdom and the shadow from the deep. Yeah. Yep. And that's it. That's the end of the show. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. Be good. I love you. Be good. This has been a Top Count Radio production, executive produced by Daniel Gonzalez and Gabriel Mara. For more shows and information, go to topcountradio.com. 